turkey, stuffing, dressing, mashed potatoes, yams with marshmallows on top, green bean casserole, that frozen pink stuff your aunt makes. You guys know what I'm talking about? These wonderful things are not meant to be served on paper plates like they will be today. You bring out what? The fine china for such occasions. How many of you have fine china in your house right now? In terms of cost benefit, fine china has to be at the bottom of the list of things we own. It's probably one of the most valuable things some people have in their home, but it is barely ever used. You only pull it out for what? Special occasions, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, three times tops in a year. Some of us treat prayer like fine china. <laughs> it's this immensely valuable gift of God that sits on the shelf only used for special occasions. Usually when there's a tragedy, some life-altering event, or right before a test we haven't studied for. Why treat prayer this way? Maybe we really don't believe in the power of it. James ends his letter on the topic of prayer. He talks about when to pray. He talks about praying for the sick. And he talks about the potency of prayer, the power of prayer. Turn to James chapter 5. Chase, you did a great job reading that passage, man. Beautiful golden voice there. James chapter 5, go to verse 13. Again, have God's word in front of you. Uh, God's word uh, reveals God's character to us. We know more about God. We grow in relationship with God when we read his word. When we read his word. Uh, and it's good to have it in front of you when it is preached to you. Um, I believe it's a good thing to have. James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? This is picking up from last week, talking about being patient against your oppressors. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, praise, which, which in and of itself is a, a form of prayer, worship, adoration, is part of prayer. Paul echoes this thought. Pray on all occasions. Pray on all occasions, highs, lows, mountaintops, valleys, in the gutter, in the guest suite. It doesn't matter. Pray, 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 pray. Spurgeon preached as we breathe without ceasing. So we must pray without ceasing. As there is no attainment in life of health or of strength or of muscular vigor, which can place a man beyond the necessity of breathing. So no condition of spiritual growth or advance in grace will allow a man to dispense with prayer. Prayer is not only for special occasions. It is for all occasions. It is for all of life. Pray. Pray. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing that person with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray on all occasions especially in the case of severe illness. Call for the elders of the church, those whom God has entrusted with the spiritual leadership, the, the shepherding of the church. Let them pray over the sick person, 
anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Why? Why oil? Why? Do we do this today? Why are we to anoint someone with oil? Oil was used in the ancient world as, as medicine. It was kind of a, a cure-all. It could cure you know, everything from toothaches to paralysis for only three easy payments of five shekels. This anointing could be medicinal, could be medicinal. More than likely, though, it's symbolic. In the Old Testament, anointing, anointing frequently symbolized the, the setting aside of, of a person or thing for God's use uh, and service. So uh, I believe anointing here symbolizes that a person is, is being set aside for God's special care and attention. In and of itself, the, the oil holds no special power because the healing is done in the name of the Lord. It is God who heals. This is a symbolic gesture. We pray and anoint in the name of the Lord. Now, do we use oil every time uh, we, we heal a sick person or pray for healing for a sick person? No. In the New Testament, plenty of people were healed without uh, the anointing oil. So if you come to me with like seasonal allergies, I'm not going to say, Doug, you know, get the Crisco. Uh, we're, 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 it's probably olive oil or myrrh, something like that. Uh, but we don't need to use it on every occasion. On the other hand, in a situation like this, when the elders are called, there's, there's no reason for elders not to do it, especially when a sickness is chronic or life-threatening. Go to verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. What a, what a verse. How do I understand this? How are we to understand this? Some take this passage and say, if you pray with enough faith, if you pray with enough faith, pure-hearted faith, then healing is guaranteed. It's on-demand healing. If I just say these things, if I have enough faith, if I believe God enough, I can move mountains, and part of that is I can, I can heal somebody. I, I feel sorry for you if that's the way you live. Because what are you ultimately saying to people who have prayed and prayed and prayed for healing that hasn't come? What, what are you telling them? Your faith is inadequate. If you had faith like me, you would be healed. That kind of places people above others. I think that stratification is something that James would be very much against. First, faith is a gift of the Spirit. We don't muster up faith or will it into being by saying, you know, I believe. In James's view, faith is a single-minded trust in God based on his character. He gives good things. And he hears our prayers, okay? So if I have a, an unwavering faith in, in, in Christ, does this mean that healing is guaranteed? No. It's one of the hardships of living on this side of heaven. We must read this passage in light of the whole testimony of God. Even in James, a chapter ago, a chapter ago, 
in this letter, James told us that all of our plans are what? Contingent on the will of God. Everything we plan, everything we hope, everything we lay out is really subject to the will of God. And so I believe the prayer of faith leaves room for God's will to overturn ours, overrule ours. Jesus himself told us in John 14, 14, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Seems to be this blank check God is giving us to have whatever we want. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The key to understanding that is is that we ask in Jesus' name, which means we take into account his will, his purposes, his desires. And the more we know God, the more we seek to conform his will to ours, we will more often pray prayers that are in that will and those prayers are granted. There may be times where we're given a spirit-born insight into the will of God for a particular situation, which leads us to pray with sure confidence that God will do what we ask. But most of the time, we aren't given such knowledge. In such cases, we still pray a prayer of faith. And just like we plan, we, we pray it open-handed which allows for God's will and purposes to supersede our desires. And in the New Testament, it's not always God's will to heal. Think about Paul. Paul had a thorn, which was most likely a a physical illness or issue that he was dealing with. He pleaded three times for God to do what? To take it away. And God didn't. Do you think Paul lacked faith? (laughs) More than likely, he prayed boldly, but he also trusted God to bring about that which was best for Paul and most glorifying to him, which God God promises to do for all of us. Now, let's get back to the thrust of this passage. Sometimes we don't pray for big things like healing because we assume our prayers will fail. James is encouraging us to pray boldly. James is encouraging us to pray boldly. Cindy was an elder's wife at the first church I served at, and and during an operation, they discovered that she had stage four cervical cancer. It had metastasized, which means it started spreading all across her body. Now, the prognosis is grim in in such a situation. The elders were called. They gathered around her. They anointed her with with oil and they prayed, God, either way, we will give you glory, but, but please heal her. Please heal her. Now, she did a radiation. She went through the steps, but after all was said and done, the cancer was gone and it, and it hasn't returned. I truly, truly believe God healed her because they asked in faith. And James says, if you don't ask, you won't receive. I read this week, it's better to fail in an attempt to exercise faith than to let it lie dormant and fruitless. 
God never belittles those who attempt to follow him, but he does rebuke those who refuse to attempt anything for him. Look at 15b. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the whole of verse 15 says this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What does that mean? (laughs) In the ancient Near East, the belief was that sin was often the cause of of sickness. And therefore it's assumed confession and, and forgiveness were both part of this healing process. Now, In a larger sense, all of sickness is due to the fall. It's due to sin. So the reason your body doesn't work most of the time is because your body is broken. It's sin infested. It's not working the way it should. But just because someone is sick doesn't automatically mean that a person is sinned in a particular way. If you look at the blind man in in John 9, Jesus says, you know, he's not blind because his parents have sinned. He's not blind because he has sinned. Why was he blind? So that God may do something amazing in this person's life. So God's glory may be shown. Yet, and this is, I'll be honest, this is hard, but this is what God's word says. Sin can sometimes cause sickness. Sin can sometimes cause sickness. Taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, it caused some in Corinth to become weak and sick. Others died. 1 Corinthians 11. Check it out. Now, don't go too far with this. (laughs) I don't want you to get obsessed with trying to discover some hidden sin when, when ill. Like if you came to me, at church and told me you have a runny nose, I'm probably not going to say, well, what have you been doing? What have you been looking at on the internet? Oh, you had one too many beers? That will make you sick. Uh, But I'm not going to automatically assume that. Well, I don't know. Maybe I I did something. And I, I believe the sick person would have clearly known what sin to confess. Yet, when praying for healing in this manner, especially in this formal manner with elders around, it does not hurt to confess, to participate in confession. Look at verse 16a. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James shifts from a particular case to a general command, showing us that confession, praying for for healing, for one another are not for, for a select few to engage in. This is not just a practice for the elders. Everyone is to confess sin and pray for one, for one another to be healed physically, spiritually, physically ill, in chronic pain. Confess and pray together. Spiritually sick, in a state of sin, confess and pray for God to restore you. Spiritually, confess sin to one another. That seems so, so Catholic, Larry. Can't I just keep it between me and God? No. <laughs> We're to confess sin to one another. I remember, I, I grew up Catholic, man. 
I was confirmed, reconciliation. I went into that booth, had the veil between me and the priest. You know, Father, it's been, you know, three years since I have sinned, so buckle up. Um, it's going to be a lot. And I remember just listing out all my sins and, and, and uh, being given a penance, which was a lot less than I thought I should have been given. It was like, you know, say five Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. And I was like, for all I've done, that's it? This is great. Um, I remember, remember leaving and, and feeling clean. You know, I'm pure for about 30 seconds. And, uh, you know, we don't have to confess to a priest. We're to confess to one another. And that doesn't mean getting up here and saying, here are my sins. And then just listing out all of your sins in front of the church only for the old lady in the first row to pass out because of what she's hearing. You're done. Find a, a mentor. It could be a pastor. It could be a pastor's wife. It could be somebody in your community group. It could be a friend. But confess sin to one another because there, there's something that, that weakens sin when it's spoken audibly. Where the, where the power of, of sin in our life is lessened when we confess it to other people. Men, men. You got to confess sin to others. You got to. We are not very good at doing that. We like to keep it light. Yeah, struggled a little bit this week, and and you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of a hard week, and you know, I sinned for sure, man. We got to get past that. And we got to confess to one another and and pray to one another. Confession and prayer; these things are for all people, all the time. Look at the rest of 16 and 17. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. Prayer is powerful when used when it's not put in the China cabinet. <laughs> Take, for example, Elijah, who many consider a larger-than-life hero. He's a hero of the faith. What does James say? He's, he's a guy just like the rest of us. Yet he prayed. He prayed a fervent prayer, steadfast prayer, continual prayer, and God did a, a, miracle, a miracle through him, a miraculous thing through him. This is in reference to God's response to King Ahab and the idolatry of Israel. God used the prayers of Elijah to begin a trout and end it. Prayer is powerful. Spurgeon said, a prayerful church is a powerful church. Moody adds, every great movement of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Elizabeth Elliot noted, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. I heard another quote this week. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. 
We are to be ordinary people of faith who believe prayer is potent. That's the big idea today. We're to be ordinary people of faith who believe prayer is potent. And James concludes with a fitting command in verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So unrelated but fitting way to end James' letter. Go after people who stray from the faith. Now, in Colorado, when a dog runs away, people freak out. Oh, my fur baby. Oh, my fur baby's gone. If you say the word fur baby, we can be friends, but just barely. <laughs> my fur baby. What do you do when your fur baby's gone? You, you put up signs for that fur baby. You scour the neighborhood. You go around yelling until what? That dog is safe and sound at home. How much more should we be moved to lovingly, patiently, and with grace go after those who've wandered from the faith? It's what Jesus did with us. It's what Jesus does with us often. We run away, but his love is relentless, and it comes after us. We are to be ordinary people, continually praying big prayers of faith individually and corporately while submitting to the will of God. Pray boldly. By yourself, pray with your children. Do you pray with your children? Do you take time to pray boldly with your children? Do you, do you pray with others in your congregation? with those whom God brings in your path? Like, are you known to be a prayer? Be quick to pray. Be very quick to pray for people. Like, if someone comes up to you and they're sharing with their heart that they're suffering, they're struggling, it could be physical illness, spiritual well-being. You know, I know you're busy, and you may have something to do, or you may be scared to pray out loud with that person. I know, I know it's tempting to say these words, I'll pray for you. How many times have you uttered those words and quickly walked away and forgotten to pray? Or maybe, hey, I'm just gonna throw a real quick one to Jesus so I don't forget later. Why don't, you, why don't you stop? And instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, why don't you just actually say, can I pray for you right now? Be quick to pray for your kids, for your, for your spouse, for your family, for your church. Be, be quick to pray for one another. I'd love it if I saw just, you know, randomly people talking and every so, so, so few times, you know, somebody has a hand on somebody's shoulder just praying for them. It's not just for pastors to do. It's for you guys to do with, with one another. And be quick to ask for prayer. Be quick to ask for prayer. Asking for prayer. I've heard this. I don't want to bother you. Asking others to pray with you. Stop believing it's an inconvenience to ask others to pray for you. 
Stop believing it's weakness to ask for others to pray for you. Can you pray for... I know of people who have struggled with chronic illness who, who never uttered those words. Can you, can you just pray for me? Man, can you pray for me? Be quick to, to pray. Be quick to, to ask for prayer. And we must find the balance between never expecting God to answer our prayers and demanding him to answer our prayers. And I think it means praying boldly and then, and then trusting God with the outcome. And just one, one thing about praying for healing before I close. Guys, I've seen God miraculously heal people. I've also seen those prayers not answered in the way that, that people would want. I know it's hard. Persevere. Persevere. God's doing something. God's doing something in you. Just like in Paul. It moved Paul to say, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. God's grace is sufficient for me. And his glory can still be made evident in my trial. But, but here's, here's the greatest hope we have. All prayers for healing will one day be ultimately answered for those in Christ. Every prayer of healing, of physical healing, for those who are in Jesus Christ will be answered. And until Jesus returns, sin, sickness, illness will inevitably end a life. But it won't be the end of life for those in Christ. For those who've put their faith in the person and work of Jesus. In him we are, we are saved. We are raised to new life. And one day we will live with him forever in a place where sin, sickness, and death will be eradicated. I think we fail to realize that any prayer for healing is temporary. Even if it's, it's miraculous. It's It's temporary. But any miraculous healing that we see today is a taste that, that foreshadows the great healing to come for all of us in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.